And it's the end of week one for me here on The Takeaway, but the conversation we started about identity in this country is only just the beginning. Me, beyond being a native New Yorker, a journalist, and a bit of a coffee lover, there are so many other layers to who I am, and I'm sure many of you feel the same way. So now it's your turn. Hi, I'm Kevin from San Jose, and being a white male, I never had to think about who I am or where I am, and I've never actually felt like I belong to any one label because none of them specifically describe me. Life isn't that simple. I'm Pam Venn from St. Louis, Missouri, and I describe myself as an atheist Jew who celebrates Christmas and feels guilty about it. My name is Dana. I'm from Evanston, Illinois. I work as a sign language interpreter for those who are deaf and hard of hearing, and many people identify proudly as deaf and as part of a cultural and linguistic minority in our country. On Twitter, Jay Exlus says, quote, I view myself as an African-American atheist. Both categories are hugely problematic in America. Also on Twitter, quote, I'm a black conservative who believes the Republican Party are not taking advantage of people like myself. We are here and ignored by the party. And we had a bunch of calls that reiterated that point. Hi, my name is Addie, and I am calling from Virginia. I'm a black conservative, and I'm very disappointed in the party and the president. The party um, is currently focused on the chosen few. They failed to reach out to other black conservatives out there. We're hardworking, and frankly, we're doing very well, and we intend on doing to continue to do well, and without jeopardizing our political beliefs. And we are here. One of the least focused on communities are black and brown conservatives. All right, a few more calls from you. Hello, I'm Oliver Sims. The older I get and the more racially related fatigue I experience, the more committed I am to being African American. I'm in the top 5% of income earners, master degreed, and successful by any measure. But when it comes down to perception and treatment, when a consumer, I'm a black man. Plain and simple. Hey, my name is Anna Hernandez, and I'm calling from New York City. I am Puerto Rican, poor. I answer to she, hers, his, they, theirs. All good. I grew up as a gender non-conforming trumpet-playing lesbian, and I think life is short, so you should show love now, because it's all about the relationships. The label I use is wheelchair user, and everything from architecture to averting eyes me daily. Anne Hart, Palm Desert, California. I do not identify as an American. Not an American. This voice stopped us in our tracks this week as we were debating labels and politics and race and faith in this country. And that's John Garhio Kane. He's a native activist and radio host and member of the Mohawk tribe. I'm Mohawk, but that's not even our word. That's a word that is placed on us. I'm the Mohawk word, <laughs> and I know this sounds uh, sounds strange, but the Mohawk word for Mohawk is Gunyagahaga. John heard our coverage of this changing American identity and reached out to us to say, hey, I don't fall under this big American umbrella. The reason I reached out to the program is because there are Native people, and I'm among them, who don't identify ourselves as Americans. We still maintain that we are uh, Native, that we are Mohawks, Oneidas, Senecas. And this can go you know, across what we call Turtle Island, uh, that many of us identify ourselves as our original peoples. 
And we reject the notion of being forced into this American mosaic because it is our distinction and our autonomy and our sovereignty that we assert and that we promote and that we look to carry into the future. There are 573 federally recognized tribes in the United States, but as a Mohawk, John doesn't seek federal recognition. While he lives on native territory in upstate New York, John says he does not live on American soil and he does not feel American. For Native people, we rarely have the opportunity to identify ourselves because we've been so misidentified and redefined by everybody from Hollywood to government to even the use of mascots. And I oftentimes talk about the unique racism that Native people experience, not suggesting that it's worse than any other form of racism, but it certainly is unique because of the the history and because of who we assert that we are, not just a, a people looking for equality within the American system, but that distinction and that autonomy. And it's interesting. I, I wonder if, you know, we're seeing a resurgence, obviously, in, or maybe not a resurgence, but an emergence in some cases of new uh, labels and new forms of identifying. And often for communities of color in this country, a lot of that is is trying to cut through the sort of colonialist, you know, ideas of assimilation and get right to the core of who we really are. Are you seeing this resurgence among younger Natives, where there's this sort of awareness that maybe wasn't there before, a connectedness to uh, not so much to the United States of America, but to these sovereign ideals. Well, a part of it is is really born out of the struggle for identity. And I think there there is such confusion amongst Native people because of, of the history and because of so many oppressive policies that the United States has had over the years, including the one that they call assimilation, because it's still stripped away who we are. I mean, everything from the residential schools where the policy was kill the Indian, save the man. So the idea of, you know, cutting off the hair, forbidding the language, putting Native kids in uniform and trying trying to condition them to rid themselves of that that primitiveness as it was uh, as it was labeled and to strip that away so what we have now it's been building since the 70s what you have now are people young people in particular like like you suggest that are clearly confused about who they are and do they have to be Americans because somebody said so i mean if you look at you know the the legal basis for that in 1924, the United States passes the uh, Indian Citizenship Act, where they simply declare that all Native people are citizens. By the time you come out of World War II, it is clearly established that the idea of a, of a nation trying to denationalize a population and impose their nationalized views on them is considered a war crime. Yet there you have the, this act of Congress in 1924 saying that all Native people are, are hereby U.S. citizens even if we're not asking to be. And I think many young people are becoming more and more aware of this. And, and part of it is, is the internet, the access to information. There's a lot more a lot more books being written and that kind of thing, but there's also a lot more conversation about the gaps in what we were taught as kids in the American public schools. And it's not just about making us angry about that history, but saying, wait a second, our history isn't the same as everybody else's history. So if our history is different, 
What does that mean about our present and what does that mean about our future? And I want to talk about that a little. Native communities are often some of the least covered uh, in the media and some of the least talked about when it comes to issues of identity and many of these other issues. It has the history, has this exploitation, has this lack of attention, if you will, and other forms of oppression shaped different Native communities and almost reinforced this idea of becoming independent and independent entities. Well, absolutely. I mean, the whole idea of our identity has already been been so um, manipulated by the outside. And and of course, what is our relationship, you know, with the, with the state and the federal government? And this is the challenge that we often have. We are still being pushed into complying with with state laws, even on our own territories, and even I mean, even with Andrew Cuomo, we're in a constant battle with uh, th- with this notion of native to native trade, suggesting that somehow we have to comply with state laws when there's no basis in law to suggest that. And we, as native people, we can't travel internationally unless we get a U.S. passport. I mean, you go back to 2010, the Iroquois Nationals lacrosse team, which had traveled on Haudenosaunee passports, were denied the opportunity to go play at the World Games in uh, Manchester, England, because the United States and Great Britain were indifferent about the use of uh, Haudenosaunee passports. So, So the Iroquois Nationals didn't get to play in the world games of of lacrosse, which is kind of absurd all by itself. But so this whole notion that in spite of the fact that there is an international standard established by the UN Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples, the United States still stands in stark violation of almost all of the uh, the articles of of the UN Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples. And in fact, you could argue that that there's not a, a judge or a politician in the United States that will place enough priority on an international standard to say, well, maybe we need to we need to rethink what that relationship is and, and how we go forward. So as as again, as more information and we are able to research our own histories a little bit, we've reclaimed much of what was stripped away by you know programs, by Hollywood, by the media, um, by again even by the use of mascots and that kind of thing, you know when I was a kid growing up, there were a lot of Native kids who said you know, yeah they'd root for the Washington Redskins because there was well, nothing I wanna, else. I, I want to get to that point though, right? Okay. There are kids that said they would root for the Redskins. There, I'm sure there are Natives who uh, people who will disagree with you who will say hey I I am an American and I identify with the tribe and those things can coexist. Well, they can and and they do. But when you put that question to somebody and you ask, are you an American or are you Navajo or are you Mohawk or are you Oneida or are you Seneca? All of a sudden they, they think, well, if there's a choice to be made and then where do you prioritize? So is your identity really Seneca or is it really American? That question invites more questions, and those are the questions that rarely are we allowed to ask. I mean, everything from you know a native kid being you know somewhat compelled to to pledge allegiance to the uh, you know to the flag or sing the national anthem and that kind of thing. This is still something that when a when a native kid doesn't do that, they are still met with a lot of um, pressure to, you know to follow suit and to conform. And why is it, in your opinion, so important for a sovereign identity to be preserved? Because we fade away otherwise. I mean, assimilation is still genocide. If you look at the definition of genocide, the idea of making a people, you know, disappear. And if you try to assimilate us or or try to subjugate us or absorb us into the United States, then the question is, do we still exist? That was John Garhio Kane, a native activist and radio host.
Thanks so much, John. All right. Thank you very much for, uh, for having me on your program. Want to listen to any of our identity conversations this week? They're all up on thetakeaway.org. Tell us what you think over at our Facebook page.